It's good to see all of you here. I'd like to give a special welcome to those of you here from um, the Crew Summer Project in Ocean City. We just <laughs> glad you're here. We've we've had uh, students be a part of that uh, summer mission uh, outreach for years. Very close friends of my wife and I, the leaders that used to lead with Bob and Jill Foos, very good close friends of ours, and so we're glad that you're here. Um, I think it's a big, big deal to go and share your faith and step out and, and be aggressive with the gospel, not just over summer, but the rest of your lives. Uh, we've been studying the book of James, so if you want to go ahead and find uh, that in the, in the Bible, if, uh, James chapter 3, you can look it up on your smart device, but we're in James 3 today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, the effects of the fall continue to ripple through our world. We saw it yesterday at the funeral of Kaylin Pryor, 20-year-olds should not be gunned down at random in the streets. Something is so off. We can continue to pray for her father who is among us, Alan as well as the entire family. May your grace and mercy intervene in unexpected ways. We've seen the effects of the fall continue to ravage our world and the massacre in Paris. We ask that you bring comfort and grace and your truth to those who grieve. And this is not the way the world is supposed to be. And we groan with creation in anticipation of the day you will set all things right. In the midst of the bombings in Beirut, please bring comfort in your gospel. We ask for grace and mercy for the ongoing racial tension and conflict on university campuses. Please, Father, use your people as instruments of reconciliation. We know this world is broken but we even see the results of the fall in our own lives as we struggle with personal sin, relationship tensions, life difficulties. We need Jesus. We need the reality of his life, death, resurrection, and reign to be a part of our daily lives. Father, even at this moment, would you bombard us by your spirit with the reality of your truth as we study your word for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me go ahead and read the passage to you this morning. We're in James 3. Let's go ahead and stand. It's a really short passage, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Listen to the word of God. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, 
full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You may be seated. Last week, you were encouraged to examine your life to see if you're in the faith. If you claim that Jesus is Lord, you will bear fruit. That means you will show a life of obedience, not perfectly. But from time to time, the believer must have a healthy examination to see if they are true, truly a believer. But even after you are assured in your faith, you can continue with a healthy dose of examination in sanctification. I don't want to confuse you with the big words there. But even as a believer, there's something healthy about looking at your life and seeing what's going on in your heart and your actions, not in a morbid way, not in a way where you're constantly shaming yourself or putting yourself down, but in a grace-filled way, you can look at your life and see what's going on inside and see the fruit you are producing to see if you are becoming more and more like Jesus. And if you're like me, you don't like this kind of heart examination. You don't like looking at your own faults or issues you may have in your own life. In fact, you may not even notice your own issues, but you can see them in others. You may have blind spots to the ways you may need to reform or change. But when you look at other people, you can clearly say, I can see your issues. I can see where you need to change. I can see where you need to reform. So you see other people's blind spots, but not your own. It seems that in the book of James, we are dealing with something very similar. Many in the church were claiming to have it all together and have even reached a point where some of them were saying, I'm ready to be a teacher. I'm ready to be a leader. But James has been pushing back on this church for a variety of issues. They've had problems with favoritism, worldliness, lack of concern for the poor. They've had a dead faith and a critical tongue. Yet some in this church thought they had it all together they figured out a way that now was a time for them to teach and to lead. They're like, I'm ready. I'm ready to be a teacher. And then we started out chapter 3, verse 1. James says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. They're like, we're ready to lead. We're ready to teach. And he's like, hold up. They were deceived. And there's nothing more disastrous than seeing a person in a church, in a family, or in a relationship self-deceived. And I'm not going to make this a brag, but I just want to tell you something. I have a special radar where I can detect self-deception in others. My family uh, has moved to the Nashville area, and one... Uh, I spent a week with them, hanging out with them, and then I came back home, drove through uh, Indiana on 65, and for whatever reason, they decided they wanted to shut down that highway for a while, and so we were doing detours through this, these small towns, and I'm coming upon one small town, and no joke, there was a, a cop, policeman, uh, outside of his car doing this right here. 
I thought he had a gun. <laughs> he's, but it was a radar gun. So he's pointing, boom, right at the cars, boom, boom, right at the cars. And, and I want you to know that I have that special radar. I could be in a counseling situation with a couple, and I could say, boom, you're self-deceived. You don't see it, but I have a radar. I can be interacting with someone who tell me about their lives, and I can say, boom, you are self-deceived. But the problem is that my radar, it, it doesn't work so well on myself. Aren't you like that? You can spot the deception in someone else and the issues, but when it comes time to look at yourself, you, just, you don't see it. It's as if the radar is broke. I'm broke. You're broke. And what we need, because we are people who want to be like Jesus, we need to be able to see that stuff we don't see. So how is it we're supposed to see stuff we don't see? Because blind spots are called blind spots because you actually cannot see. So how are you supposed to ever change and grow if you can't see? Well, you need radar. And the radar is like this. Here's the radar right here, right? The Word of God has continually tell us that it is that radar. That when we look at it, we're like, oh yeah. And as the Spirit of God works on us, we see what we've not seen before. And it gives us a chance to experience grace in ways we've not experienced before. And it gives us a chance to grow and to be more like Christ. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take the radar of God's Word and shine it at you, shoot it at you. And when you feel and sense conviction, just know that there's grace and forgiveness in Jesus. This is not a time of condemnation. It's a time of grace and change. Do you want to really change? Let's go ahead and jump into the text this morning. We have uh, James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. I love the question he asked. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who's wise in here? Who's understanding? Our definition of wisdom that we're going to talk about this morning is wisdom is the God-given competence to navigate through the details of life for the glory of God. I've had this definition for several years. In fact, I've actually created hand motions for this definition if you're interested. Uh, wisdom is the God-given competence. So wisdom starts up here, comes down to our lives in the world, we navigate the details of life, and we do this for the glory of God. So it's almost like this. Wisdom comes from God, we receive it, we live it out, and we do it for the glory of God. That's the kind of wisdom we're talking about. And so when the question is asked, who is wise among you? Who is understanding among you? You, you, you might be quick to say, look, I'm the wise one, I'm the understanding one. And, and the question James is getting at is, are you sure? Are you sure you're the wise one? Are you sure you're the understanding one? Or are you self-deceived like the people in this book, like the church here? So let's kind of probe a bit and ask the question today, how can you tell if you are wise? How can you tell if you're wise? How can you tell if in your wisdom you're becoming more like Jesus? James is going to say basically two things. They are very similar. Look at your life, 
Look at your fruit. Look at your life. Look at your fruit. Go back. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Once again, look at your life. Look at your fruit. If you're wise and understanding, are you? He's not talking about book smarts. He's not talking about IQ. He's not talking about test scores or degrees. Many of you, I could ask you trivia questions. You would know the answer right away. Math questions, some of you would be clueless, but some of you could bust out the equations right away. Science, even theological questions, you could display your knowledge. But James is not looking for you to spit back content, but he wants you to show forth actions. Many of us can spit back content, but James wants actions. He says in verse 13, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of of wisdom. Wisdom is shown in good works done in humility. You don't show wisdom by your knowledge, but you show wisdom by humble obedience. Let's frame the discussion a bit. Let's broaden out biblically. What's the kind of wisdom we're talking about here? It's wisdom we're talking about in relationship to the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here's the idea. God is a holy God, and we are broken, sinful people. If you doubt that our world is broken, look at the news this past week. If you doubt that you are broken, look at your own heart. He is holy. We are sinful. The idea is that he sent his son Jesus onto this earth. This is a literal existence of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He was killed on the cross. On the cross, he's bearing the wrath of the Father for sinners. He's buried. Three days later, he really rises again. And the call is everyone who puts their faith in Jesus can be forgiven, reconciled to the Father. And now as children, we walk in the fear of the Lord, not as a father who is going to crush us, but our fear of the Lord simply says, you are God, we are not. And we have this healthy fear that we walk in humility before the Lord in obedience where our lives should center around God and his ways. That's the perfect ideal world. That's what we're striving for as believers in Jesus, to keep God at the center. But the problem is, sometimes our hearts are off, and we place ourselves at the center, and then we display that which is not true wisdom. Verse 14 again. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. You know, when I was thinking about preaching the sermon today, I was thinking, you know, it's a short passage, just kind of work my way through it, and I'll just kind of give you guys some content. But as I studied it, I thought, you know, when I see this terminology of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, I would say that those two things are probably some of my, my, my top struggles. 
some of my top warring and fighting within my own heart and my own life. And as we go into the details of what it looks like to have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, maybe, maybe you can join me in the fight and the struggle. These are things we don't often like to talk about. I would rather tell you my struggles with anger than my struggles with jealousy. I don't want to talk about that. I'd rather tell you about my struggles with worry than tell you about my struggles with selfish ambition. Is anybody with me? You can see these outward expressions in a moment, but I want you to notice that this behavior starts in the heart. Did you see it there? But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, that's why self-examination is such a big deal because it's often in our hearts. So let's, let's get into the ugliness of our hearts for a moment and start with bitter jealousy. What does bitter jealousy mean? Let me, let me replace the word there because maybe a word that you understand that would be easier is the word envy. That's what bitter jealousy means, envy. Envy has been called the sideways glance. You know, you can be doing good, doing fine, living your life, everything's cool until you turn to the side and you see how someone else is living. And you're thinking, huh, I wouldn't mind having their stuff or their looks or their talents. I wouldn't mind having those titles or their relationships. I wouldn't mind having that person's life. Envy can rise up in us and other people when we start trying to gain attention or being promoted. You feel like you're being ignored. Jared Wilson, he's a great definition. He says, envy doesn't just want what someone else has or is. It doesn't want that someone else to have or be it either. Pastor Tim Keller says that envy is when you are happy at other people's Happiness, or like you're unhappy at other people's happiness or happy at other people's unhappiness. So if you're happy, I'm not happy. If, if you're not happy, then I'm happy. That, that is an ugly sin that I find lurking in my heart. And I know that we can create healthy uh, 12-step groups to deal with anger or, or lust, and we can create financial classes to help people manage their, their money. But, but I've not seen a group on envy. I mean, it is just yucky. We don't even want to talk about it. I don't even want to see a show of hands because you'll be too embarrassed. But have you ever, for those of you, uh, have you ever been envious of your, of your best friend's boyfriend and thought, you know what? I, I secretly hope they break up. That's envy. That's, that's yucky. Have I ever looked at, at a pastor of a, a really big church and thought, you know, I really, I really wish he would have some type of fall. That's yucky. That's envy. And it's, it's, it's something we don't want to talk about. I mean, often not like to, to admit. But is there this bitter jealousy and envy in your heart? 
If there is, don't ignore it. Pay attention. But look what else he says. Is there also selfish ambition in your heart? Ambition is not bad. There is a redeemed ambition that can be healthy for the glory of God. But what about selfish ambition? Selfish ambition is when you're just pretty much looking out for yourself. You're trying to get ahead. Uh, Have you ever gone on a date before and the other person just talks about themselves the whole time? Maybe that's you. (laughs) That's a selfish ambition. My my wife um, has, uh, from time to time, been driving for Uber this past year. And the great story she has uh, with a variety of passengers. But but some of the passengers just gush about themselves the whole time. And can you imagine some of us selfish people all come to church? (laughs) We gather together and we want the music to be the way we like it and the preaching to be the way we like it. We want the church to meet when we want them to meet. We want to be all about ourselves. And then James is showing up to church and he's saying, "Uh, by the way, who is wise and understanding among you? You show it by humble obedience. Otherwise, stop lying. Don't call yourself wise when... Your heart is all about you. That's where James is getting at. So he says, look at your life. Look at your fruit. What, what's coming out of your life? And he's going to move into the section, and he's going he's to talk about the wisdom from hell <laughs> and the wisdom from heaven. Look at verse 15. He says, this, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual Demonic. <laughs> we spoke last week about demonic faith, and now we're talking about demonic wisdom. More specifically, this wisdom, this selfish ambition and, and this jealousy is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Uh, you may have heard the terminology of the world, the flesh, the devil. This wisdom is of the world and is anti-God in his ways, and it feels natural to get ahead by selfish means and envy of others, but that's just unspiritual ways of the flesh. And it's hard to believe that this kind of wisdom floating in many of our hearts, even in my heart, is demonic in nature. Look at your life. Look at your fruit. What's going on on the inside? And though you may not be able to tell what's going on in someone else's heart, you can, also, you can sometimes see the fruit in their actions. And if you see someone who has a life that's dominated by envy and selfish ambition, that fruit will come out in a variety of disorders. Look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. This wisdom from hell masquerades as as true wisdom, but it's exposed when you see disorder in every vile practice. It's been exposed in this church to say, look, I know you think you're wise, but look at your partiality. Look at the way you neglect the poor, the worldliness, your vicious tongue, or your faith without works. Basically, the church was carrying forth a self-focused agenda where they distanced certain people. They created factions and rivalries and dissensions. They had their power plays, which have elevated some and crushed others. And when you have a heart full of envy and selfish ambition, then you can see it displayed in self-focused agendas and power plays and divisions and vile practices. 
when a couple is having problems in their marriage, the root is often a self-focused agenda. Many of you have been a part of, obviously, churches. Some of you were a part of Bible clubs in high school. And now many of you are part of parachurch ministries on campus. And I'm sure a lot of you represent a variety of different schools. But sometimes these movements have problems. These churches have problems. And when you see a movement that has tensions and problems... Don't just look at what's going on on the surface. Ask yourself those root questions. Are we bringing our self-focused agendas to the table? Some of you who are leaders in crew or in varsity, RUF, what are you bringing to the table? A self-focused agenda? You'll see it in clashes. Or are you bringing a heart that's open to the agenda of God? I definitely don't want this to be a a negative sermon, and I I don't think that's where James is going either. So we've seen the wisdom from hell. We've seen when our hearts are off, when they're selfish, and when they're envious. But he closes with this wisdom from heaven, and I think it's important for us to consider this wisdom that comes from God that can be displayed in our lives in a Christ-focused. Look at this wisdom from heaven in verse 17. But the wisdom from heaven, uh, but the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Many of these traits are similar to Jesus' beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount and to Paul's fruit of the Spirit. We have this inside-out expression of wisdom from above. And I don't want to just fly by this list. I think it's important to kind of stop and say, okay, we know what we don't want to do. We know what we want to put off. But what do we want to put on? What are those positive traits What are those Christ-like characteristics we want to have? What's this life of Jesus that can be manifested in us? Well, let's just kind of take one by one. Let's, let's, Let's kind of just slow down as we finish up here and think, okay, what can the life of Christ look like? Well, he says, the wisdom from heaven is first pure. It's pure. Do you live a life of purity? What about your ambitions? Are your ambitions pure? Are they God-centered or are they self-centered? Are your motives pure? Your thoughts? uh, Sexual purity? Financial purity? All these other forms of purity come from above in the fear of the Lord. Notice the next part. Not only are you looking for purity, but we want to manifest that which is peaceable. Rather than envying and clashing against others, you live a life of peace with others. And I just want to tell you, you don't need to compete against anybody. I understand sports, and I'm not talking about that. Uh, You don't need to compete against anybody to show how awesome you are. I feel like there is a a certain theology that we are combating against in some generations more than others. It's a certain theology called snowflake theology. Snowflake theology says that you are unique you are special, you are one of a kind, just like a precious little snowflake. And and I'm not dogging on that, but I know your parents told you that and build up self-esteem and that's great and everything, but when you take that snowflake theology out into the real world, it makes you want to say, look how unique I am, but if you're not careful, it can make you put down other people 
and want to compete against others where they're, where they're lower. So you'll, you can almost talk about your accomplishments and that you kind of just want to dog on others. So, so be careful of this snowflake theology because it's, it's going to create tension and it's not going to create peace within your structure, your friends, or peace with your own heart. The next trait he gives is, is gentle. Not harsh, but a self-subduing gentleness yields to others rather than promoting agendas. It's a long-suffering and patience with the faults of others. The next one he says is open to reason. Did you know that you can stand firm on the Word of God and yet still be flexible in many areas of life? Even as a Christian, you can stand firm on the Word of God and yet you can still be flexible. You can defer to the preferences of others rather than digging in with your way of doing things. One who is open to reason is teachable and listens. Would you consider yourself teachable? You're like, yeah, I believe the Word of God. I'll stand firm on it. But I'm teachable in many areas of life. I'm teachable even in being instructed by the Word of God. Are you a teachable person? He says, full of mercy is another trait, full of compassion for the suffering and forgiving those who are sitting, no grudges. He mentions good fruits. You're not a touchy person. You're not quickly set off. You're not defensive, but you produce good fruits. Impartial. There's no favoritism or elevation of one person over another. You treat people with the same love. And then the last one, it says, you're sincere. You truly want other people to succeed in life. You want them to succeed at work. You want them to succeed at school. You want them to succeed in athletics. You want them to succeed in their, their spiritual life. You can, you can be challenged by their skills and their success to push you. But at the end of the day, you want to appreciate them and wish them well. Is that you? Do you truly want the best for others? Are you encouraged when they get ahead? Are you encouraged when they're growing? Is, is that in your heart? I think a good summary verse comes from Philippians. Philippians 2.3 Apostle Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And that's what Christ did all the way to the cross, and that's what he's calling his followers to do. Consider others better than yourselves. And James finishes his passage by saying, verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace those who have been inwardly changed by the gospel of Jesus will reap a harvest of righteousness. They'll keep sowing the seeds of peace as they'll be characterized by peace. They're not dominated by envy or selfish ambition. They're not creating factions or divisions. They are dominated from the peace from heaven seen in this humble obedience and a harvest of righteousness. So here's what we did took the Word of God, kind of took the radar to examine your heart, to see what's going on. But if you pull back and you say, okay, I would say there's a little bit of wisdom from hell in me. What a terrible thing to admit. There's some wisdom from hell in me. If you see some of these traits in you of bitter jealousy and envy and selfish ambition, I think it's appropriate for you to repent and find grace and change in Jesus. And I think it's even appropriate for us to spend our time here corporately examining our hearts and repenting. Because if I tell you, go repent later on this afternoon or tonight, you'll probably forget. 
But I want you to consider your life right now while I have you cornered to examine your heart and say, you know, Jesus, these things are in me. I don't want them in me. I want to display your love and grace to others. So if you acknowledge this wisdom from hell is floating in you and you want to repent of it, receive grace in Jesus and display a wisdom from heaven. So I'm going to end our section, uh, our session here, our sermon here in prayer. And I'm going to ask you a set of diagnostic questions. And many of the questions, I will, well, we're going to be closing, but you can peek up at the questions that I put on the screen for you to examine your heart with these diagnostic questions. Uh, Jared Wilson, a good brother in the Lord, has a good set of questions, and I'm going to ask some of these. And as I go through these questions in prayer, I just want you to examine your heart and confess to God and receive forgiveness in the gospel and ask him for wisdom from heaven. This is great preparation before we take the Lord's Supper. At the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of Jesus of life and death and resurrection on our behalf. And as we come to remember his death, we want to see that his death also has power to change us. And so we want to repent and find forgiveness yet again in the gospel. So I'll put the questions up on the screen, but let's go ahead and, and bow right now in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask you to examine our, our hearts. I, I know we have many people here out of town, and they probably stayed up late last night. They have a lot going on, and they're ready to travel out today. And I know a lot of us have a, a busy lives, but I just ask that in this moment we would just stop and consider some things that may be in our lives that you don't like, that you want to get rid of and you want to grow us. And so, Lord, I just ask right now, as we go through these questions, that you would examine our hearts. Examine our hearts and show us where we need to change by your grace and by your spirit. Number one, is it difficult for you to enjoy the success of others? Father, please forgive us even in this past week where others have succeeded and we've been bummed by that. Please forgive us. Number two, do you tend to stew on the idea that some people have blessings you don't think they deserve? We remember the psalmist in Psalm 73 looking around at all the success of others. Even us, Lord, we look around, we see others being blessed, and we don't think they deserve it, and it bothers us. We bring that to you. Number three, do you sometimes feel threatened by people with similar looks, gifts, jobs, or callings as you? Father, forgive us. Help us to quit comparing looks and gifts. Please help us to quit comparing and just to stay in our lane and be content and be faithful. Number four, do you often size up other people in the room measuring how they compare with you according to appearance, stature, or position in society? 
Father, forgive us. Forgive us for looking down on others and forgive us for being too impressed with others. We are all sinners. And number five, are you nagged by constant feeling of discontent? That snowflake theology that says I'm unique, I'm special, and yet inwardly just a mess, discontent, thinking there's something better out there and wanting to drag down others and figuring out what it is. Father, forgive us. Lord, we repent of our bitter jealousy and deep-seated envy. We repent of our selfish ambition and attempts to make life revolve around us. Forgive us for causing divisions and hurting others. Forgive us for the foolish things we have done to promote ourselves at the expense of others. May you change us from the inside out. May we see Jesus who was humble and meek laying down his life for sinners. May we heed his call to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. Father, we ask that the wisdom from heaven would permeate our hearts and alter our relationships for the good of others and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.